in your personality. You can be peaceful. You can be loving. You can be kind. You can be patient, no matter what temptation has overtaken you. And then we looked at the hope of strength and provision last week, that uh, we should approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we can uh, find, uh, obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now, we have some outlines here, I hope, this morning for today's hope. Do we yet? I'm looking. Someone said yes. Now, does it say hope of spiritual influence? All right, we are on the right page. We are over half ahead of last week now. That's great. So the hope of spiritual influence. And the question is, do you believe that Christ can spiritually influence any person to change? And here it is, through your obedience, right? Do you believe that Christ can influence any person to change through your obedience? And if you have your Bible, we're going to pray in a moment, but turn to Matthew 5, 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus' first sermon, speaking to those of us who are his followers, who are meek, who are humble, who are peace seekers, peacemakers, who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Then he goes into this in Matthew 5, 14. You are... The what? Light of the world. Now that has all kinds of implications for what we're talking about today. Your light spiritually influences other people to change. You are the light of the world. A town or a city built on a hill which cannot be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, and here it is, let your light shine before others that they may hear, now what does it say? See, they also need to hear, but see your what? Good deeds, your obedience, and what's the result? Glorify your Father in heaven. So much trouble we have in life because we have conflicts with people that are not walking in the light, aren't doing what's right, and we are to be the light in that dark conflict, right? We are the light. I was listening to a song in preparation for this that I used to sing often when I was uh, in my 20s, and it was, uh, You're the only Jesus some will ever see. Have you ever heard that song? But it talks about, If not in you, then tell me who. Will they ever see the one who really cares, Right? If not from you, where are they going to find it? How will they learn? There's one who heals the broken heart and gives joy in return. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need. For you're the only Jesus some will ever see. You are the light of the world. Let them see your light by your good deeds that they may glorify God. All right, we've done the lesson. Let's pray. All right, here we go. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for giving us this word of encouragement, this word of hope. 
that no matter who we're dealing with, that our obedience by your sovereign power and grace can influence that person to see and change. We have the hope of that because your word offers it to us. Show us more of that here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 2 Corinthians is the passage that really is our theme, our memory verse, if you will, you have there at the top of your outline. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul. He says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And this triumph is the picture of a victorious king riding back through the city with the head of the enemy king in his hand, so to speak. He has triumphed. Look, we win. Now the devil's head is the one we hold up. Uh, The darkness that he's influenced others with, the darkness that tries to overtake the world. It doesn't say that we win the person always here, but it says that we're always manifesting the aroma of Christ. Look what it goes on to say. Here's the triumph. And manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him, the sweet aroma, the good deeds done against the evil, overcoming it. The sweet aroma of Jesus in every place. Every place. I want you to think about every place. How many places is every place? Can you think of any too dark place that you can't be the light, right? You can't shed. Oh, this is, too, this is an impossible relationship. I cannot be like Christ here, right? How many have said that? Raise your hand. We'll have an altar call here this morning, right? We felt that. We've given in to that, Paul. Right? But this is the verse that says, No, we spread the aroma of Christ in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ. And who is our first audience? To God. God is pleased, right? He is pleased with our actions. And that's why Jesus would give the promise in Luke 6 that if you're persecuted, leap for joy, for great is your reward. And First Peter would say, If you bear up under sorrow, but you do what's right, this is commendable to God, right? And that's to motivate you to say, God is the audience of my life first as I deal with you little sinners, right? As I deal with you who are struggling. goes on to say, uh, among those who are being saved also, we're not just aroma to, to God, but we're an aroma to those being saved. And we're also an aroma to those perishing. And to the one who is perishing, we are the aroma of what? Death. They hold their nose and they say, stinky, right? It convicts them at times. It makes them feel like a worse sinner at times. That's why Romans 12 would say, you heap burning coals on their head when you overcome evil with good, right? But look, we're also the aroma to those, the aroma of life. So I just want you to think about this passage. This gives us hope that God always uses our Christ-like speaking and living to establish something. Christ God always uses, always leads us in triumph to establish something, and that is an environment conducive to spiritual what? Change in other people. Always. We affect other people by that. Now, who, who does it affect? Well, those who are being saved, it affects. Those who are not being saved, water off a what? Duck's back, right? But do you know who those people are? 
Can you see a dot appear on their head and you say, oh, you're, you're Hindu, right? <laughs> you're not a Christian. No, you look and, and you do that and you see the effects. And you give up after three times. <laughs> no. We are called to be the light of the world regardless of their response. So we can see the question here, do you believe that Christ can spiritually influence any person to change through your Christ-likeness? This would include your worst neighbor. All of us have neighbors. I don't mean in proximity. I, I mean in amount of time, uh, your relationship to them, maybe a kin, maybe you married them, maybe they're a child, maybe they're a co-worker who you rub shoulders with every day, right? Uh, other drivers on the road, person at McDonald's in line or whatever it is, these are your neighbors, right? Your worst neighbor. Do you believe that God could do that? Do you believe God sets us up as lights in the world so that we bump into the worst people in the world sometimes and have to fellowship with them in some sense to have an effect on them, a tough relationship in their life? Do you believe that, that as you continue to be the aroma of Christ, God can at any time choose to use that aroma to save them at any time? Do you believe that? No matter how dark, decadent, defiant, do you believe that? You see that this is so important as we help people, even ourselves, deal with the, pro- the, the issue of problem people. Uh, wanting to, we want to give up on them, but yet we have a commitment at some level to them. We want to walk out of the job because we're tired of them. I have had people quit their job. I've seen people quit their jobs and leave their family in poverty because they couldn't handle that person anymore, right? They've, they were overcome by that. We've also heard of people who leave their spouses because they just can't do it anymore. Now, in the Bible, does it say when you just can't do it anymore, that's when you leave? Now, there are some parameters. We believe there are uh, times when you can choose to leave, but it's never commanded. It's never encouraged. It's never applauded. It's never, hey, go, yeah, you, you can do that. It's a sense of what is loving here? Am I being the light of the world in this situation? We have the hope of spiritual influence um, let's look at this uh, first point here. What is spiritual influence? Let's talk through this a little bit, just so we understand what we're saying, what we're not saying. And you have a definition there. Um, a person who is doing wrong. This is what spiritual influence, and when I look at Scripture, I understand it to be. A person who is doing wrong is significantly convicted at the heart level by the who? The Holy Spirit, not by you. About the what? The, and I have different words here, I think, than yours, but the basic idea is about the danger and ugliness of their wrongdoing and foolishness, I think you may have too. But about the danger and ugliness. We just underline danger and ugliness. Those two words are key words when you think of what is spiritual influence, that the Holy Spirit convicts us at the heart level or that person that what they are doing is dangerous and ugly, right? Now, does anyone want to go to hell this morning? Raise your hand. Okay, I didn't think so. Now, people may not believe in hell, but if they believed in hell, they wouldn't want to go there, I promise you, right? So no one wants to hurt themselves in that sense, to go to hell forever. How about this? Does anyone want to be ugly in this room? Now, I know some people want to be ugly, you know, their, their pride blinds them. They don't see it's ugly, though. 
But if you look in the mirror and you see your face all deformed and full of warts and pimples, and, you know, I mean, you just have a green face. It's ugly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Anyone to say, oh, I love looking like that. So you see, when the Holy Spirit convicts people of how ugly they are and how they're treating you, or Jesus, like the Apostle Paul, 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 Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Ugly, ugly. When they see how dangerous it is that they are doing these things, there is a heart-level response because they have become convinced that they're ugly and they're living dangerously. And now there's a spiritual, that's a spiritual influence, spirit-given influence. Uh, John 16, 8. Turn to John 16, 8 to see the foundation of what we're saying and through, through Jesus' own words, John 16, 8. Jesus is talking about going away. They're sad about it. He says, it's to your advantage I go away because this is what I'm going to send to you. This is who I'm going to send to you, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, which is where we get the word spiritual, the idea of spiritual, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict. What do you think convict means? Convince at the heart level, right? He will convict the world, the unregenerate, the lost, concerning three things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. So he will convincingly convict their conscience of their sin, their failure to do God's will, right? But not only just, oh yeah, I failed to do God's will. He'll convict them of righteousness, uh, that they are doing wrong, that they are ugly, that it is not seeming, it is not good, it is not pleasant to do wrong. This is right, the beauty of holiness. And in contrast, they see how ugly they have acted, right? So the Holy Spirit will show them righteousness, and in the mirror of righteousness, they will see ugliness. Wow, you're ugly, right? That's what will happen. But not only that, what's the next word? Judgment. The Holy Spirit will convict them of judgment. Not only have they failed to do God's will, not only are they ugly in the mirror of righteousness, but there is a wrath that's coming because of their lack of uh, beauty, their lack of holiness. Have you ever been convicted in this room by the Holy Spirit of how ugly you've acted in a situation? Have you? If you have, then you're saved. If you haven't, I hate to say this, but the chances are... I, I don't know who's going to heaven, who's not, but that's an indication you're going to hell. If you've never been convicted of your ugliness, I continue to be convicted at times of that. That's how we grow, right? And we confess that sin. We don't just sit there and say, I'm going to stay ugly. The Holy Spirit convicts you of ugliness. Have you been convicted of the danger of your sin at times? How you're treating people, what God thinks of that. Unforgiveness, Jesus says six times or more. This idea that if you don't forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins. That sounds dangerous, doesn't it? Well, that's what we're saying happens to the world when Jesus shows up in the conflict, if he's saving them. The Spirit gives influence through your goodness to be the mirror for them to see their ugliness. You are the light of the world. You are the one who, when you do good, it convicts the world through the power of the Spirit, if they're being saved, of what? Ugliness, 
and danger, right, of what they've done. Jesus was the first light of the world. He is the main light of the world. In fact, we are uh, reflections of his light, right? It's Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. But the first light of the world, John chapter 1 would say that the true light coming into the world illumines every man. And then John 3 would say, and I'm, I'm going through this rather quickly to help you just see how Jesus was. Well, let's not go through it quickly. You guys are turning. That's good. John chapter 1. Look at this. I'll just make sure you get this. John chapter 1. Look at verse 9. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. But look at John 3. So Jesus is the true light, just like we are. He lives, he comes, he lives, he doesn't just speak, but he lives before them and his words and his actions enlighten them. It brings light to their darkness. Now look at John 3, though, chapter, verse, um, verse 20, or verse 19. And this is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men loved what? Darkness. Don't show me that light because when I see that light, I start to think about how ugly I am and how dangerous it is that I'm living that way. Before we sin, this is what we have to do, squint, right? Let me just not think about that. Let me just do it. Because if you thought about it too much, you thought about it in light of the truth, your conscience would be quickened, right? See? And so here it says that men love darkness rather than light for their deeds are evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifest as having been wrought in God. So Jesus comes into the world and in that actions and in his words he illumines every man. Some hate the light, some receive the light. But Jesus would say this in John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Think about that. So Jesus, as he's being the light, has such confidence that he, some aren't going to be attracted to his light. And he doesn't know who those are, or we don't always know who they are. But all that God is called to Jesus will by that light be attracted to him. That's the hope of spiritual influence. If God is drawing people, you keep being the light and you'll see them come. It may take time. It may take 20 years. 30 years as one man. It took 30 years. The church prayed for him. He was an alcoholic. And he repents after 30 years. They didn't stop praying. They didn't stop being some sort of light to him. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts. Jesus came. People were enlightened. They saw his goodness. They saw his good deeds and now let me share with you where you're at in all this. Listen to Philippians 2. I'm just going to quote it for you. Philippians 2, 14. It says, Therefore do everything without grumbling or complaining, that you may become pure and blameless children of God who shine in this crooked and perverse generation like stars. Right? How can you shine in this darkness like stars? Do everything without what? Grumbling and complaining. Right? Those are very small times, aren't they, in our life? 
grumbling, I thought it was big stuff. Like, let me give you the four spiritual laws. And that's part of it. But in, as I'm giving you the four spiritual laws, you're not going to hear from me complaining or grumbling. And if you were to follow me home, you're going to see more of not grumbling and complaining. You see, we become pure. And then we shine like stars in a crooked and perverse generation. Regeneration bringing the light to the darkness. You are the light of the world, like Jesus was the light of the world. The thief on the cross, examples of this. The thief on the cross, we are receiving what we deserve. What did you do? Murder? Did you kill one of those Roman soldiers? And the murderer sitting or hanging on the cross looking at Jesus what was it about Jesus that caused him to feel the ugliness of whatever it is that he did that he could say I deserve this <laughs> you don't hear criminals I don't deserve this it was someone else's fault it was my dad's fault a chemical imbalance that's what happened here right now he looks and Jesus is hanging there with him and he says stop hurling insults at this poor man he has this compassion on Jesus we're deserving what we, we, we did. We're getting what we deserve. And then he looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, will you remember me? He's repentant. What did he see? He saw something, and God used what he saw in Jesus to change him. What if Jesus had been up there arguing too? Yeah, what are we doing up here? You're right, man. I hate this. That, you know. See what I'm saying? What if you grumble and complain when you're on your cross? Right? When someone puts you on a cross... Small cross, of course. What do you do? Another example of powerful influence would be St. Andrew. And uh, I, I didn't get all my material here today, so I'm going to go off my memory, and my wife will tell you when I go off my memory, sometimes things get added into the story, right? <laughs> I'm going to give you the gist of it. Uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, read the story of St. Andrew's death. History tells us. And I'm going to do my best to remember that's it. That's all I got. No. The, the best I've got is that St. Saint, Saint Andrew, uh, they had uh, hated St. Andrew, and they, they, the, the disciple Andrew, and they told, asked the emperor to put him on the cross. And so he went to the cross, and as he saw the cross, he said, oh, how, how I have longed for you, cross, to hang on you as my Lord hung for me. So that was, he wasn't grumbling and complaining, was he? He knew when Jesus said, and you, you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me, this was the moment. It was a literal cross. You and I have figurative crosses. And as St. Andrew hung on that cross, the people that insulted him and would walk by and jeer at him just like they did Jesus, and I think it took a number of days. I can't remember exactly. But as they passed by, you know what Andrew would do? He would bless them. He would call out and pray for them. They saw a picture of love and light in the darkness. And after those days he hung on the cross, they went back to the emperor who put him on that cross and begged him to put him down. Take Andrew down, just like the thief on the cross looking at Jesus, right? And by the time they took him down, he had died. And I'm sure he was glad so he didn't have to go through all that again, right? But the point being, you see the influence that we see. We could do that thousands of times in history. The question is, are you living in the hope of spiritual influence? Or are you giving in to the darkness? 
You must be the light or you'll get overcome by it, right? Hope of spiritual influence. This is how God saves people, right? I want one more example of dramatic change. The Apostle Paul, what happened just before, prior to his conversion? The stoning of who? Stephen. And they laid the garments of Stephen at his feet. What did Stephen say while they were stoning him? Father, do not hold this sin against them. Right? And he dies. That's a way to die. He's dying with a clear conscience. He's not saying, doggone it, I had so many dreams for my life. Now my poor health's going to take me out. No, he's not grumbling and complaining. He's shining like the stars of the universe, right, in the darkness. And the Apostle Paul, though the scripture doesn't tell us he was influenced, but can you imagine when Jesus said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he had no pictures of how Christians died well when suffering. And he had pictures of Christians throwing rocks back at him. What do you think? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Jesus. Oh, that's what you do, Jesus? You throw back at us when we... See, he had a picture of Christ in the people he was persecuting. And as a result, his conscience was softened to some level to this. People repent when the Spirit of God spiritually influences them, and we are the means of grace often. So my question is, who are your worst two offending neighbors in your life? Who are they? All right? Who are those people that tempt you most to sinful action and thoughts? This is really ugly talk, isn't it? It's not very gracious, but this is the truth, isn't it? This is where you live at times. Maybe it's just occasionally. Uh, when you want to treat them mean or in, in an action or a word or a tone, those people you don't desire to win. Maybe you've given up on them. You've lost hope of influencing them. You've stopped praying for them. It doesn't mean you have to go there every day after they've moved three states away, but you've just stopped praying for them. Just stop. There's no hope for them, right? See, the hope of spiritual influence keeps you at it because you look at a Paul, you look at the thief on the cross, and you look at those people who put Andrew on the cross, and you say, if God can save them, he can save others. Paul would want you to use him as an example of what God can do in a murderer's life. Maybe you've decided that the treatment that they're giving you, it, it, you're done with it, and you're going to respond with the same treatment you've been given. Uh, your tone and actions reflects this. Maybe you've pulled away. You, maybe you think there's only two options. There's only two things you can do with a person you're in conflict with, clam up or blow up, right? And out here Jesus is giving us a third option, spiritually influence. Don't make your goal to change them. Make your goal to influence them. Because that's what you are, the light. The light doesn't make people do things. It just exposes so they see what they need to do, right? Light isn't very powerful in some sense, is it? But it shows things that make people change things. Be the light of the world. Let's look at some scriptures on God's promise of being a spiritual influence. Um, if you have your Bible, be prepared. This is a sword drill. We've already looked at 2 Corinthians, the fragrance of Christ. We're, we are the aroma of death and life. We draw those God is saving, and we offend those he is not by doing good. But look at 1 Peter. Remember, for Peter, 
the fisherman, the one who took the sword and cut the ear off of the servant at the garden as he tried to defend and protect himself. Here he's telling the early church when they're suffering under Nero, he's telling them, suffer well, not get your sword out and fight. I want you to see that the hope he's giving them is a hope of spiritual influence. Look at Second, First Peter 2.12. I want you to look at the, the effect and the cause what's, and the situation if it's mentioned. So effect, cause, and situation in these. First Peter 2.12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what do we have? We have what is the effect that they may glorify God, right? Who brings that effect? The Holy Spirit. What are the means in which he brings that effect? What does it say you're to do? Keep your behavior what? Excellent. And good deeds, right? Observing your good deeds. What's the circumstance in which this is going on? The word is slander. You ever been slandered? What do you feel like doing when you're slandered? Keeping your behavior excellent? No. But if you have the hope of spiritual influence, what will you do? You'll choose the third option. Not the blowing up, not the clamming up, but the spiritual influencing, right? Look at another verse, just a few verses down, verse 13 and uh, verse 15. Just start at 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Wow, strong. What power. Such is the will of God. What is the effect? You will silence, right? You will silence them. What is that which the Holy Spirit uses to silence your enemy here? Doing right. And what is the circumstances in which you're doing right? Ignorant men, <laughs> ignorant, foolish. This is often a verse I turn to when I'm helping a husband or a wife deal with a husband or wife who's treating them poorly. Who the husband has, or wife has gained repentance, the one doing right, and they're doing right, but the spouse that has separated or divorced or is tempting them isn't seeing the good that they're doing now not seeing the good. And they want to come in at times and get angry and just think and talk about how bad the wife is now or how bad the husband is now instead of do what this verse says, which is what? Do right. Silence your ignorant spouse. They like the word ignorant. Makes them feel good. But the reality is if they are foolish comments, if they're not true about you, then don't add to them comment. Don't do things that make their comments real. Right? They do this to you, you do that to them. Look at 1 Peter 3, another hope of spiritual influence. Verse 1 and 2 says, In the same way, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So, what is the effect here? They may be one without a word. What is that that the Holy Spirit uses to cause that effect? 
the wife's gentle or chaste, respectful behavior. And what tough circumstance is this in? Disobedient husband, right? Isn't that what it says? There's a disobedient husband in circumstances here. Look at 1 Peter 3.14. Peter is big on spiritual influence. He wants to give these people suffering the hope of influencing and drawing people to Christ. Look at verse uh, 14. But if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. Don't fear their intimidation. Don't be troubled. But set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence. And here's the key verse that we want to look at. Keep a what? Good conscience. That's going to be our a, a cause. Keep a good conscience. So that in the thing in which you are slandered, there's the circumstance again, being slandered. Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to what? Shame. What does light do? It allows the Holy Spirit to use your example to show the world their ugliness, right? That's what it does. Shame. When an unregenerate feels shame, he's close to the kingdom, right? And some are saved then as a result of that, as a result of, of your obedience. And then look at Proverbs 15. Let's, let's, get, let's get to the practical book of Proverbs and see a few of these. The writer of Proverbs would encourage us to understand the power of spiritual influence when you do what's right, that it can be used by God to help you affect those who God is, whom God is saving. Proverbs 15, verse 1 first. Let's look at 1 first. I'm sorry, verse 2, I guess. Yeah, no. Yeah, verse 2. My, mine is out of order. What do you have next? 2? Oh, good. Okay, look at 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. So making knowledge acceptable is the effect. And what is the cause? A wise tongue. Have you ever been able to speak to someone in a way that's ugly and mean and harsh and you can sell whatever it is you're selling well? Like a, if a used carsman, you sat down and he said to you, that car you got is the ugliest car I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I don't even know why you even chose it in the first place. And if you just feel ugly about what I'm saying, you'd buy this car. That really works, doesn't it? No, what do they do? They schmooze you, don't they? Man, I've got a car that'll make you look better. You know, that car you got now, it, you know, it's okay, but I think you can afford a greater car. I'll give you a big loan that you can't pay, but here it is, right? I'm, what I'm telling you, this is, this is saying that the person who's wise, and in a godly way, wise, makes the thing they're trying to give someone as acceptable as possible without compromising the truth of it. There's two ways to say things, the most offensive way and the most acceptable way. What do you tend to do? Spiritual influence, the hope of it, right? How about Proverbs 16.21? Look at 16.21. It says here that the wise in heart will be called discerning. And sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So when you want to persuade someone to change, what do you do? Do you sweeten your speech with salt? 
words with grace, as it were? Or do you put a little bit of poison in there, putting them down? Here's spiritual influence, isn't it? Very small passage. Look at Proverbs 15.1. Go back to 15.1 for a minute. Or go one verse ahead of where we were. Chapter 15.1. A gentle answer turns away what? Wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Do you see how the Bible is written to help you be effective in relationships? Like people that aren't doing right so that you can bring to it spiritual influence. Hear your words. A gentle answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Here we're seeing the contrast, aren't we? Here we're seeing that the responses that are not pleasing to God work in the opposite direction. If I respond in harshness to your wrath, what happens? It stirs you up. Go try that in your parenting. Your child is angry, up him too. Oh, that'll reduce him to humility, won't it? You see what I'm telling you? You're harsh with me. I'm harsh with you. I intimidate you to change. But have you really changed? No. You're just afraid of me now. You're afraid I'll out-argue you or hurt you physically and call it discipline, right? (laughs) There's a place for discipline. But we need to instruct our children with gentleness or else we're stirring up wrath in them. Effective spiritual influence versus effective demonic influence in a person's life. That's what we see there. For, for further on that, Ephesians chapter 4, turn there. There's two more here. Ephesians chapter 4. This is a very good verse to memorize if you have trouble with speech. Look at this spiritual influence that we have here. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So verse 29, we're to put off unwholesome words, right? And we are to put on edifying words according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to the hearer. So there is a problem in view here. It's according to the need. Someone's doing something wrong, or you have a concern that you believe God wants you to address. How do you do it? You You address the problem as you edify the what? Person. Has that ever happened to you? Has someone ever came to you? I've had people in this room come to me with concerns, and they come to me in a way that edifies me. They don't attack me. And you know what that causes me to do? Have grace. What's grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved. And grace taught my heart to what? Fear. So here it says in the passage, when I edify you when I'm concerned, I give grace to you, which helps you have from the Spirit the ability to what? Fear rightly. See rightly. But if I speak unwholesomely, what do I do? I'm a tool of the devil. In your anger, don't sin. The devil gets a foothold. There's only two options, guys. You either are spiritually influencing 
or you're demonically influencing. And I use that word in the purest sense. Because James would say, if you use wisdom that is from the earth, it's demonic. Wisdom is I'm trying to get something to change here in a person's life. Well, let's go ahead and throw in unwholesome words. And the devil uses you as an instrument of destruction instead of an instrument of light by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that doesn't work. And that does, right? (laughs) I know, I hear that. I hear that in myself. I hear that from others. And I'm supposed to put up and just keep... See, now we need to think through this. How do we continue to persevere when it's tough? I'm not going to go through the other verses, but I am going to end with this thought. The conditions for God's promise. Here's how you endure. The last point here. A condition for God's promise of spiritual influence. What are the conditions? And as I've said before, we'll say it again. Every hope requires desire and belief. So in this case, if you want to influence other people, you need to have a desire to influence them. (laughs) Sounds strange, doesn't it? You must want to influence them. Versus what? You've become bitter maybe towards them. Apathetic. Psalm 107.9 says he has satisfied the thirsty soul with good things. Are you thirsty to influence other people spiritually or have you stopped? I struggle with that. My worst two neighbors, maybe family members that I've stopped praying for at times. I have no hope for them anymore of change. If I don't have a hunger for God to do a work in their life, I will not be effective in my influencing at all, right? We talked about Charles Spurgeon last week. There was something that marked him more than just a great preacher. He had a hunger for souls. Amy Carmichael, more than just enduring suffering and proclaiming Christ, she had a hunger for souls. Spiritual people that influence people spiritually are hungry to influence people spiritually, right? Instead of being bitter. Letter B, we must have a belief in God's ability to change that person. It doesn't mean he will, because we don't know God's sovereign work. We don't understand how it all works. But we must believe that if God desires to save someone on a dime, he can do it. He can, like Paul, on the road to Damascus, let them see Jesus and hear, why are you persecuting me? You are ugly and dangerous in how you're acting here. This person is doing good to you. Why, why do you persecute me? How hard it is to kick against the bricks. That's, isn't that what you want that person to hear? We must believe God can do that, and we leave it to him to do it, so that we can do what we're doing. But many times we stop trying to influence someone because we don't believe God can do it. And I want to remind us of Jesus' confidence in John 6, 37 again. All that the Father give to me will come to me. Then that gives his life very simple. All I have to do is keep being the light. All I have to do, and that's a big job, isn't it? Is keep doing good. Keep speaking truth, right? Don't give in to sin. Retaliation. That's why the last step, the last point we're making here is this. Practice much biblical prayer. Let's put the word prayer in. And doing of good versus apathy. 
Romans 12, 18. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 12, 21. Overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil. There's no neutrality here. You're either doing good and praying for those who persecute you, or you have become apathetic. You and I aren't to pray for the entire world. Did you know that? There are too many names on that list. But you have a closest neighbor in your life, even in the past, maybe present, future, that has done you wrong, that has hurt you, offended you. And hear what Jesus would say to us. Look at the verse here, Luke 6, 27. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Those closest neighbors, right? And bless them or pray, and pray for those who mistreat you. So I encourage us here, if nothing else, begin to pray for those who are your closest offending neighbors, past or present, and be ready the future's coming too. Those are the people God has put into your life to have spiritual influence. Those are our responsibility to pray for, if you understand what we're looking at here today. Keep praying and seek to do good. Now, there can come a different levels of doing good, depending on where the relationship is, what your responsibility is, and you may need help discerning. What does good look like here? I don't, I don't have someone fellowship with someone who has uh, sexually abused them, okay? You understand what I'm saying here. There's a wisdom in all this. But do good and pray regularly for them. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this time we've had. Help our eyes not to be dry for those who are far from you. But help us to pray, Savior, like a shepherd, lead and rescue. Father, we cannot make someone's change, but we have the hope again and again in Scripture we could have gone all day on these scriptures of spiritual influence. When my obedience meets their sin, then the Holy Spirit shows the light of the world through us. And there can be a drawing influence. If you're saving them, there will be, Father. Help us not to give up. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.